Progressive Rugby League. Hey, John O'Duncan. Today we're talking to someone who has just participated in their first election. If only I'd known earlier, I could have shared my experience from my first and still to date only election campaign. It's the mid-90s. I'm in the sixth grade, gunning for the position of male sports captain. The favourite for the post is Paulie March, not his real name. Smart, funny, tall, all that. Publicly, I'm not the slightest bit interested. Sports captain? <laughs> Lame, whatever. Privately though, I can feel the sash fluttering across my breast. I can smell the envy of my schoolmates, particularly the delightful Paul March. So I get to subtly campaigning. What do you reckon, boys? Bring a bit of fun back to sports captain? I feel a groundswell grow around me as we reach election day. People are talking John O'Duncan. Privately, I'm bursting with excitement. The public John O, though, is keeping things at wouldn't-it-be-a-laugh levels. Mr. Bramson, not his real name, counts the votes at his desk. His eyebrows rise. Good sign. Soon it's time to read the results. In third place, not his real voice, with five votes, Marco. Smattering of applause. In second place, with six votes, Jono. Well done, Jono. It was my first realisation that hearts literally do actually break. I was shattered. My cool facade wavered, tears welled. Paulie March had won the landslide. As time has passed, like most, I've been wary of politicians, but one thing I've always appreciated since that foray into electioneering is that it takes some guts to put yourself out there and stand up in front of your community. I didn't and don't have those guts. My guest, on the other hand, absolutely does. Ross Peltier is used to tough and willing environments. After all, he's a front row forward who has plied his trade admirably over the years for the Keithley Cougars, Bradford Bulls and the Jamaican national team, helping the Reggae Warriors qualify for a maiden World Cup berth later this year. But just last week, Ross completed another battle, this time in the Kirklees Council Ward of Burstall and Birkinshaw. He was the Green Party candidate. So what drove a hulking prop to have a dip at local politics? What has the reaction been like from the rugby league community? And how can I appropriately segue the interview later on to talk about the Rugby League World Cup? These are questions. And to do the answering, Ross Peltier, prop forward now with Doncaster RLFC and local council candidate for the Green Party, has kindly agreed to help us out. Ross, thanks for your time and welcome to the Progressive Rugby League podcast. Oh, no, man, it's a pleasure to be on there. It's a great intro, really, so yeah. Good stuff. Thanks for coming on the show, Ross. Uh, Now, you've had a busy week. An election last Thursday, 6th of May, and then Sunday, today when we're recording, your first game of the season with Doncaster. I think you're probably the only player who will contest an election and play in a Rugby League World Cup in the space of six months. First things first, though, how did the election go last week? Yeah, it was good. It was a great experience. I think I come away with 419 votes. You know, the winner got 2,000. It was the first, like, dive into the political world. No, it was good. I, um, I didn't even, I didn't campaign. I didn't get out there canvas or anything like that, really, because it was kind of a last-minute thing. And, you know, I'm, I live within and around that area, so you just put my name in the heart and, uh, and thought I'd see how, how it'd go, really. And, yeah, I'm proud of getting 419 votes, really. But I think... The party itself and, you know, me and, and talking to other people who were candidates and who have been elected, you know, I think 
you know, I could have a few through the party and, you know, I never know, maybe get a contested seat next time and, and it makes them happen. So, yeah, it's, it's a great experience, really. And, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to keep doing, really, yeah. Yeah, great. Yeah, I saw the results. And you, besides the two main parties, Labour and Conservatives, you were next cab off the rank, so that's a, a really great result. Now, yeah, yeah. Now, Ross, tell us about your local area. Burstall and Birkinshaw is the ward that you stood for in the Kirklees Council election. For those of us on the other side of the world, can you please paint us a picture of that area that you wanted to represent? It's a small area between Leeds and Bradford, really. Um, it's pretty much a border, but then it, it's a Kirklees area which falls under like Huddersfield and stuff. So it's like right in between the three cities of Leeds, Huddersfield and Bradford. Mm-hmm. You know, I currently live just outside of the ward, but my brother and everything lives in the ward and um, Bradford Bulls we used to train up at a school in that area and stuff. So I know the area well. Yeah, it's just a small area. It's two small towns. First up, probably... The bigger of the two towns. Yeah, um, rugby league-wise, it's like neighbouring Batley Bulldogs, Shrewsbury Rams and stuff like that. And um, Yeah, I spent a lot of time in the area um, when I first left school and my apprenticeship, building them um, social housing there. Mm-hmm. And then that's progressed and, you know, I've, I've become more into um, sustainable housing methods and stuff. And I think that's what's helped me yeah. um, on my journey to Green Park. So, yeah. Yeah, right. And so the experience of running in the local election, you mentioned that there wasn't that much involved this time around. Was that COVID-related or just a time thing? What was involved? Were you handing out pamphlets at the station? Could you rub shoulders with the community or was that not possible this time around? No, just for this one. I know a friend, a friend of mine, he's been a Green Party candidate in that area you know, for a while and, and I think it's in that area, I think. So I've been a contested seat really. I think he's been a conservative stronghold for a long time. And, you know, I think they just wanted someone else to run as well and he knew I'd be interested. So, you know, they, they pitched the idea to me and I was like, yeah, yeah go on, then I, I'll do it. I might as well go for it. Yeah. And then I think just after that, local media and, and the Green Party himself realised, oh, actually... It's not just a, a random person who lives there. Like, I play for the league, I play for Jamaica and stuff like that. So, you know, I got media traction and stuff like that. And people started picking it up and actually listening. Uh, by the time I decided to run and, you know, I had my name down, it was pretty last minute. So the party himself didn't really have any materials for me to handing out, and especially with COVID and stuff. I didn't really have any, any posters or handing out or stuff like that. But Andrew Cooper was running for West Yorkshire Mayor mm-hmm. and, and other people in the party. I got to meet them and network and really... Just announced I'm I'm in the party and um, I'm going for it and you know whereas I didn't really have a campaign this time it was just word of mouth and, sure. and, and me putting the word out on social media you know I think it's it's welcoming to the party you know I've yeah. had outreach from all kind of people across the board from the deputy of the Green Party and all the way right through and yeah and I've just been welcome with open arms really and yeah it wasn't so much as, as expecting to win but you know having a candidate in the area and then you know having a candidate like myself we ended up getting some votes so yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess it's uh, step by step, isn't it? Now, just for for context for for people in Australia and elsewhere, from my understanding, the Kirklees Council area, the broad area is more a a Labour stronghold, but your particular ward is more a Conservative stronghold. Is that correct? Yeah, it is, really. And I think it's more the the Birkinshaw side of it. Birkinshaw is more of a middle-class area. It's not really a working-class area. Mm -hmm. So that's like the Conservative side. But then Burstall as well. Burstall is a very working-class area. You know, it's got Labour strongholds and stuff. You know, the MP for the local area who tragically were murdered a few years ago, Joe Cox. She um, was a big presence within this area. And, and Labour really had a, had a stronghold on more of the Burstall, Batley side of it. Okay. But, you know, when it comes to a Birkinshaw thing, it's more of a conservative area. We'll talk more about the political stuff shortly, but what about your first game of the season for Doncaster? You've, you've basically just arrived home. You're up against a, a pretty big club, one of your former clubs, the Keithley Cougars. How did you guys go and how did you pull up? Yeah, we were 
it was a good game really um, good to just get the boots back on mm. you know Keith they've had they've had a few about four pre-season games or games before whereas we're straight into it you know mm-hmm. after what when Covid laid everything off last March we haven't played a game since wow. you know with numbers and stuff we haven't ever even had 30 in the side just been doing lefty rights and stuff like that so you know it was, a, it was an experience for us and was well within the game first half you know second half I think Keithley got into his heads in their game plan worked really just high completions in the rain and we just coughed mm-hmm. up too much ball and they had too much penalty you know, we had too in bin um, stuff like that then there's half back Watson balls from PNG had to come off with a um, head injury in the second half and we just lost his way but you know it was rusty but there's plenty of positives to work on really it's just good to be back playing man yeah and so I think you, you guys lost in the end 44-18. So what was it like getting back in the swing into the grind of a rugby league match after being away from competition so long? Yeah, it was weird for me. Um, I've been playing at professional level of rugby league now since I was like oh, 10 years, going in my 11th year. So, you know, you're kind of familiar, but you could tell it's been a long time off and you get caught in that tumble jar. And especially in the middle, for myself, getting spotted up, everyone's calling your name and trying to get you. <laughs> you know, three, four tackles on bounce and you get it's like, wow, this is what it's all about. <laughs> you know, so it was just a good welcome back to it. And yeah, so we've got a lot to build on, man. But yeah, it was just, your body was like, oh, really? This is what we're back at it. So yeah. You'll feel it tomorrow and the next day, eh? Hey? Yeah, definitely, man. And what, how do you see the chances for the Dons in 2021? Is promotion a realistic goal? Yeah, definitely a realistic goal. You know, with the squad we've got, the players we've got, you know, we're definitely a top three, top four club, you know, and, and playoffs is the aim. Anything short of playoffs, you know, we, we've, we've failed really. Yeah. And when you're playoffs, anything can happen. And I think um, with what we've shown today is the first hit out against, you know, probably one of the best teams in that comp. You know, for much of the game we were in it, it was just a lot of sloppy tries, really scrappy tries from our end. And it's to be expected for the first time playing in over a year, especially as a new group of players, you know, we had about... We had about four or five on debut, mm-hmm. you know, and starting 13. So, yeah, it's one of them. But, yeah, we build on it from this week. And, and yeah, that, that's the aim playoffs, definitely. Because that was your first game for the Dons as well, right? You used to play for Bradford and, and Keith Lee before that? No, I actually got a free in last season before the pandemic. Of yeah, I, I, yeah, I signed last year. Yeah, we got three games in before everything ended. So, yeah, it was my debut, but yeah. Yeah. It felt like it's been that long, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. Now, Ross, you're a rugby league front row forward, so you're obviously used to getting down and dirty in the literal sense. What drove you to want to experience this in the most vivid metaphorical sense in the arena of politics? So why did you stand in the local elections last week? Especially in Bradford, you know, my family have been very community-oriented and very community-involved with various local groups, community groups and stuff. And and my mum is a person who volunteers and gives a lot of her time, you know, to all sorts of groups, you know, to help better people on the health side of things you know she's a chair of like the Black Health Forum and stuff you know encouraging um, health services and stuff in in um, the West Indian African communities and things mm-hmm. like that and you know just from being around that and she also helped run a, a local care home and stuff within the city community run care home and I've always been around there and she does um, like cafes once a month for elderly people and network and get around each other and stuff all that kind of stuff like that and I've, I've just grown up around that and really been socially involved and you know conscious and and I love the city and I love everything about Bradford really and, and the surrounding areas and yeah it's just it's a natural progression for me I think so I've always been getting encouraged you know to go and, and, and try to be a councillor and stuff like that and you know there were talks before the pandemic and stuff with um, a few Labour councillors um, mm-hmm. mentoring me and stuff like that and 
they never came about but you know when this opportunity for a green plant came about I jumped here you know and I think when I went Bradford especially a lot of lads joked and said you know one day I'll be Lord Mayor of Bradford and things like that because you know any promo or anything in the city or anything around any group you know I'm always there and I'm, I'm willing to help really and I think yeah. it was just yeah it's something I've always been interested in and you know I've seen things happen in my city and I've seen how things are running how things go in the city and, and where funds go to it and you question it at times and you think you know we, we need better and I've just thought instead of you know thinking it it's time you know can put some action in and really try to get involved and, yeah. and make some changes and, and like through me doing this I've had other people say oh it's give them a courage to, to look into it or give them a courage to become more politically active and try to help in the city and yeah it's just been a natural progression for me really yeah well it definitely does take courage now Ross rugby league in both the UK and Australia has traditionally been the domain of the Labour Party. I guess rugby league essentially started as a, a workers' rights issue. More recently, yeah. rugby league, the working class community has become a, a bit of a battleground once again in, in both countries. In Australia, both leaders know the importance of the rugby league vote, while in the UK, the rugby league vote was explicitly chased by the Tories through the whole Workington Man thing. But certainly in Australia, and I presume in the UK, rugby league has rarely, if ever, been associated with the Green Party. So, so why the Greens, Ross? You know, I think, I don't know if you're aware, you know, the current political landscape in Britain, you know, I've, I've always been a Labour voter, well, my family been Labour voters. Mm. Me, when I was of the age of voting, I've always been a Labour voter, and that's just been how it is, and, you know, working class people, that's always been how it is, but I think if you see how the Labour Party's gone of recent times, and mm. with the new leadership and things like that, I think a lot of minority communities have felt let down by um, the new Labour leadership and, their, and the way they're trying to go. You know, and I think a lot of when they talk about working class in Britain and working class communities, they fail to acknowledge that um, ethnic minority communities are actually working class. Mm-hmm. Like, it's always aimed at the white working class, but, you know, in West Yorkshire, we have a lot of areas that are, you know, working class black areas, but it seems like we're not the voters that anyone's trying to get, you know, and a lot of people feel disenfranchised and, mm. and it's been the same for me and I felt myself, you know, looking around at the political landscape and, you know, I looked at what the Greens stand for and, and a lot of their policies, you know, I feel like that's why I align with, you know, yeah. And, yeah, and especially with, you know, sustainability issues, that's something that I feel deeply about and, yeah, it's just what aligned with me and I kind of fell into it. I knew someone took me in and said, listen, why don't you try and run for the Greens, you know, mm-hmm. be happy to have it. Um, and then there's a link down as well, Andrew Cooper, who's running for West Yorkshire Mayor, who's a McCarran stuff from Greens. Knows my dad from years ago. My dad helped him set up a, a renewable energy business and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it just all fell into place. And I felt like, um, for me right now, that's probably the best part um, that I'd want to join, yeah. Yeah. And so, Keir Starmer, the Labour leader in the UK, he noted after a poor showing from his party in the local elections that Labour had lost the trust of working people and those votes seem to mostly have gone to the Conservatives but it, it seems like you think the Greens can be an alternative for working people including that what I'm clumsily calling the rugby league vote. Is that accurate or you, you mentioned there the distinction between white working class and other working class people of colour? Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I feel from working class areas, you know, especially with the sport of rugby league, We've all been one, you know. Mm. The rugby league is the richest Britain of black players playing from days when Union and Wales and stuff would have let them play. Mm. You know, so we have that rich history there. And I think I think as well for a lot of working class people, 
when they think of like greens or progressiveness or leftness um, you know I feel the media is very toxic in Britain and it's given a bad reputation to it like yeah. work class people think oh greens are just hippies or just this or they want to take his cars off or they want to do this or they want to do that and I think it's a very Tory dominated media landscape in Britain and especially working class people you know I know people don't like to stigmatise and things like that but a lot of the tabloids and things are, are eaten up by a lot of working class people and I think, you know, me doing this has helped dispel some of the myths and, you know, some of the lads that rugby have spoke to me and have been interested about about the Greens and stuff like that and, mm. and realise that it's not just, you know, hippies and, and people hugging trees and, and this and that. It's about actual change and a big thing, especially Andrew Cooper's running for mayor, you know, it's about you know, renewable, affordable social housing, because mm-hmm. there's a major social housing issue up here. You know, I work in social housing, I'm a special surveyor, mm-hmm. and our main contracts are within, like, social housing, and, and you can see how there's so much need for it, and so much need for quality, sustainable housing, and I think the Greens, really, they have answers to all that, and I think what's happened in these uh, results, there's been a huge surge for the Green Party, there's been a massive Green surge, and more people have actually, when they've looked into it, and they've seen they feel like, you know, Conservatives could never vote for them for certain things, or they feel like Labour don't represent them. I think Greens have really just sweeped in and took them voters, really. And I think that's happening across a lot of working-class towns, really. Mm. I think you see towns like Stockport and stuff, Greens have won um, in Sheffield. Safe seats that have been Labour safe seats for years, you know, Greens have won. So, yeah, I think I think the tides are changing, really, and working-class people are realising they do have an alternative to them, this two-party system that's been, you know, on the cards for so many years. Yeah. Now, I read a really good article on you by the journalist John Davidson where you mentioned that the politics of rugby league has changed over recent times in your experience. You said it's gone from something of a left-leaning sport to a bit of a right-leaning one. Can you flesh that out a bit and explain how that manifests in the real world of a rugby league player like yourself? Or what are some tangible examples where you've seen that change? I think for myself, where I live, and things like that, you know, I'm passionate on this. We've seen 11 years of a Tory rule, and I've seen the towns and cities and places where I'm from and where I live get progressively worse and worse and less investment. And I just feel with the media and, and, and especially with the toy pie right now, it's a lot of culture wars. They're telling you they're going to protect you from um, faceless enemies who they tell you, oh, these people want to rip down statues or they want to do this or they want to do that. And it's, in fact, you'll never find men, more than a handful of people who'll ever say that. But, yeah. you know, it's creating these giant ghosts and creating this um, fear within people. I think Brexit played a, a big part as well. You know, there's a lot of people in towns who kind of shot himself in the foot with wanting to be out of Europe and not realising like the ramifications of it and I think it's all just it's all about optics of things really you, when working class people who are in a terrible situation feel that socialism is worse for them then you know this ultra capitalism then that's where we have a massive problem for me you know I think in Britain especially with the corporate contracts I don't know how much you know about that you know but um, Tory daughters getting hundreds of millions and, and billions of contracts and, and providing inadequate equipment and things like that mm. that is literally just socialism but for rich people but mm. you know when I'm out on the street or I talk to people they feel that oh socialism you know, I'm on nine pound an hour, this and that. They want to take all my money and, and give it to some immigrants or give it to some homeless people, but it's, it's not that. You know what I mean? I yeah. feel 
I think there's been a massive shift on people thinking, you know, wanting better for everybody else is going to take away from them and make what they have worse when it's not the case at all. You know, I just think it's a massive, well, it's well orchestrated campaign, really, for the media, like trying to shift the narrative and, and make you feel the people who actually have your best interests at heart actually don't. Yeah. And that we're, we're in this situation, and oh, that's just how it is. We're doing as best. Nothing can change, but in reality, we can change a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if it's similar in the UK, but it seems the term something like woke is weaponized and, and you end up not even debating the actual issues. You just sort of like get labeled with the term like woke and then all of a sudden people dismiss yeah. things so you don't even actually get to talk about the issues. Yeah, and when people ever bring that word up, I say, well, what is the opposite to being woke? It's been asleep. Like, it, how has the insult been awake? Like, you're, you're woke, you're aware of these things, you're questioning things. How is that ever a, a bad thing? I would, I'll never understand. It's just, I feel it's just been a real good changing a narrative and, and misguiding people, really. And, mm. and, and that's the thing. You know, and a lot of times when you get into facts about things with people, you know, they realize that they don't really have answers for it, but they just believe what they've heard. You know what I mean? You can go on for hours and you can debate yeah. and you can argue for hours, but people don't want to debate or they don't want to argue, really. Mm. But, yeah, it's all about having open and honest conversations, really. Yeah. And I feel me doing this, it, it has had that. I've had some good chats with some of the lads, you know, from, from Castleford and Feverson and yeah. things like that. And they've opened up their ears and they've seen, actually, like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But, so I was going <laughs> to ask you uh, what the reaction has been from your, your mates in rugby league. Were, were they surprised that not only you were standing, but who you were standing for? Yeah, it was a surprise, you know, really. I think some would know me better. They wouldn't have been surprised by it. But yeah, the, the party itself, they were surprised. And, and, you know, I got a few shouts from opposition today about Green Party and all sorts like this. So, you know, I reckon I'm going to get some, some shouts and stick. But yeah, no, it's all comes with the territory, really. Yeah. So there is a bit of chat in the field and a bit of sledging that sometimes happens. So what, what are people sort of, I don't know, uh, criticising your recycled water policy or something in between plays or something? <laughs> yeah, it's just like, fucking, I don't even know, like, fucking, like, there'd be a knock-on on the field and someone like, yeah, it's for a green party, this and that. And I'm like, thinking, oh, it's one of them, but yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, people refer to me as green party now, so yeah, it's one of them things, but that's right, all okay. good. Oh, there you go. So there are worse things. Now, Ross, British Rugby League, as you mentioned, has a, a wonderful, rich history of black players, including players of Jamaican descent. I understand the great Ellery Hanley and Clive Sullivan were both of Jamaican descent. But from what I read and what I can tell, it doesn't necessarily translate to support from those communities on the terraces. Why do you think that is? I feel one of the main things you know for me I grew up in a great area of players you had your Leon Price in the world you know you had your mm. Richard Barnett you had, a, you had a lot of Super League players playing Super League that time who were from Bradford who I could relate to I mean, then you go to the area before that uh, a family friend of mine um, recently tried to pass away last year Jeff Price who played for York for a number of years you know his brother played for Hunslet you know like you say we had Ellie Hanley Des Drummond you know Anderson Kill all these kind of people and they really inspired the generation and so for me being from Bradford having so many um, great black players from the Jamaican community playing rugby league you know it kind of inspired me but I think it's always been that I don't think participation numbers and going to watch sport from the communities has been that great anyway in any sport but what I've 
really see these participation numbers, you know, decrease on an amateur and junior level, really, yeah. which is a sad thing. But, you know, when we played um, Jamaica, we played Wales a few years ago, Wakefield, mm-hmm. and we managed to get like 6,000 fans, you know, people bringing the kids and, and the kids wanted to play rugby and they've been inspired. And then we played England Knights back in the 2019 and, and we've got a great turnout there and we really engaged with a lot of the local community and leads. And, you know, it's about cities like Bradford, Huddersfield especially. Mm. You know, you had the likes of, um, you know, Joe Farrell plays for Jamaica, his dad, Anthony Farrell, mm. you know, Darren Flaherty, you know, the St. Elias, all that. You had a lot of players, you know, in the 90s, 2000s who, who came through and, and played rugby league and participation numbers were high for, for you know, black kids and, and the black people in that city. But, you know, I think without how the sports kind of declined and, and footballs, you know, had the rise, I think mm. more kids have turned to football and seen football as a sport they want to do really we've really lost out there yeah. really massively and do you think maybe the, the presence of the Jamaican national team in that part of uh, Yorkshire the UK can play a role in bringing the community back to the game not, not only in terms of participation but on the terraces as well yeah, massively, you know, I think London Broncos have helped bring through another wave of, of young black players, um, but yeah, especially us being based in Yorkshire a lot and playing our games in Yorkshire a lot, you know, we can get into the communities and most of the lads are from them communities and from Yorkshire really, we can engage and we've already seen young people um, from days when we've played in good nights and stuff, come watch us train and, and, and really inspire and stuff and that's what it's there to do, you know, build a legacy and create a legacy and yeah, and as well as the political stuff, that's what I want to do is help boost participation numbers just among young people across the board within the city of Bradford because that's took a massive decline because I remember when I come through playing amateur you know, we had a whole league of just teams from base in Bradford and now mm. we're down to like two within the youth leagues you know so right. as much as it's been a decline in, in black players there's been a decline in all players as well really yeah. I think yeah we've seen it in, in, through the gates and through participation numbers it's, it's, it's struggling and I think rugby league's really trying to find its footing and trying to find its, the way it evolves really mm. in the landscape over here yeah and international rugby league could be a, a path there now ross uh, speaking of you're of course a, a jamaican rugby league representative as we touched on and you helped the reggae warriors qualify for the rugby league world cup 2021 with a win over the usa in florida a couple of years back now before i get to that day i want to ask you about that day but before i get to that day what are your recollections of your Jamaican debut? Because you guys have come a long way in a short period of time. So I'm curious to know how that experience started for you. Yeah, it was a long time ago. You know, we have second most caps for Jamaica now. Mm. You know, behind Joe Brown, who had one more than me. But I remember my debut, it was, it, it was in a peeing down rain, proper torrential rain, <laughs> um, in a baseball stadium in Philadelphia against <laughs> South Africa. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and, and over the gravel bits, you know, the turf was all patched up, so the pitch won, won the smiles. And, you know, we played, we played against South Africa. We've won convincingly, you know, in, in an interential rain. But, yeah, that was, a, that was a great memory. That was the first World Cup qualifiers, I think, 2011. Yeah, so right. 10 years ago now. So, yeah. so there you go. So you're going from a, a gravel-laden pitch in Philadelphia to the Rugby League World Cup in 2021. So a pretty good journey for the Jamaican team. Now, yeah. let's fast forward to that World Cup qualification. So what are your recollections for, for qualifying for the World Cup? I interviewed Romeo Monteith last year, manager and all-round stalwart, and he said the second half, as the United States were breathing down your necks, was like a 40-minute heart attack for him. What was it like as a player? Yeah, for me, you know, my third World Cup qualifiers, yeah, and I've been there before. The year before, we felt we, we, we had a 
good chance of qualifying and we threw it away. But this time we beat Canada convincingly, like very convincingly. Mm. And you know, confidence were high, confidence were buzzing. And then we went to the first half against America and we were leading, I think it was like 10 0 at half time, 10 mm-hmm. 6 or something at half time. And I just remember the boys saying, you know, massive for him and it's all we have to do is not let them score if they don't score we go to World Cup yeah. that was the talk that was like the talk we just said as long as they do not score we go to World Cup mm-hmm. you know and Ashton Golden you know for the Giants now he was he was massive and I think just the togetherness every time we play it's crazy like the, the togetherness and, and the willingness to work for each other and the, the camaraderie and team spirit we have is unreal and mm-hmm. You know, throughout, I know Rumi said we were a heart attack, but for the boys on the field, I think we just felt that they won't break us. They won't break us yeah. down. And that just ran through the whole team. And I think everybody felt just comfortable. We knew they wouldn't break us down. And, and, and yeah, it was something special, like just counting down in minutes. And yeah, Ashton definitely pulled us out of a lot of holes when the middles were sucking it in and we were struggling and even at nine we're just going and then Benjo Bishop were coming in after and, and, and scooting us and I think them two's uh, Super League experience really helped us mm. you know they took us to a next level and yeah it was just the spirit and, and you know to see so many grown men crying um, you know especially for myself and Romeo mm. um, it's been a long journey you know players like Omari Caro and Joe Brown it's been a long journey for us and had to deal with a lot of ridicule and people thinking it was a novelty and things like that yeah. over the time and I think all the emotion came out and it was just amazing that you know we got to a World Cup with a team with a lot of English based you know heritage players you know World Cup in England um, it were a massive thing really and yeah, it was just a special moment. Really. Probably the most special moment in my career I've experienced, really. It was just amazing, yeah. Yeah, amazing what uh, belief can do for, for a group of people. And yeah. and it's, uh, you mentioned Romeo Monteith and a few of the players that have been involved. But also, I guess it must be heartening to have someone like Jason Robinson, dual international, one of the, the very best of his generation on your side too. What's his role been and what effect has he had so far? Yeah, him and Alex Simmons, they came on board when we qualified, um, just before we played England Nines and stuff like that. And I think, you know, their commercial contacts, networking, the way they market, most has been second to none. Um, you know, that trip when we qualified, a lot of players funded it themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I had a sponsor who helped me fund it. So we uh, we paid his own way there and everything. And then, you know, see when Jason come on board and, and Alex come on board and sponsors get involved and, you know, get a player headingly and things like that, get a game against England Knights. It, yeah. It's been massive, really. And then it's just not even a marking pick to have someone like Jason be involved and be there and come on camp and talk. You know, he's, he's crazy. Like he's he's one of my idols. I didn't play with Billy till I was you know older. Till mm. I was like eleven. I always remember the World Cup final when um, England won the World Cup. Mm. You know, I remember watching that before I went to my first ever rugby league session. Right, and that yeah. was inspiring to me. And then to think, you know, years down the line, I'm starting just having a conversation with Jason. Crazy to me, yeah. So yes. yeah, he's just an inspiration, and, and yeah, they're bringing sponsors in, and you know, they're just making the, the scope on the game even bigger. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I think you're talking about the 2003 Rugby World Cup there, where the yeah, England beat yeah, Australia. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Remember that very well. And your thoughts ahead of the the upcoming World Cup? How much? Has COVID affected Jamaica's preparations and how are you going to make up for that and ready yourselves for really the, the biggest challenge of your lives? Yeah, it's hindered us, especially for a lot of us part time players. You know, we've got a lot of part time lads in there 
you know, whose seasons were cancelled and fully called off, you yeah. know, so preparations for us fully came to a halt and, and fully stopped, like, especially for myself, I say that I played for so long, so, you know, it's just been a struggle for us, keeping in, in, in shape and, and just ready, game ready, like today, it was just a eye-opener playing again, mm. you know, um, but the Super League boys we've got, but we've got a great staff who have been checking up on us and, um, just touching base really and you know we've got the framework set out we've got a week in June where all clubs have given us leave and we're going to just go and be able to train and link up together again so yeah right. it's, it's been difficult but you know it's been difficult for everybody so not just us a lot of nations will be feeling it the same way as us true yeah well Ross we can't wait to see how it all goes later this year Good luck in advance for a great experience for you and the Reggae Warriors at the Rugby League World Cup 2021 and more immediately uh, kudos for putting yourself out there in the Kirklees Council election. Ross Peltier, go well and thanks for joining the Progressive Rugby League podcast. Cheers, man. First up, been a pleasure, man. Progressive Rugby League. What a good guy. Inspired me to maybe have another go at male sports captain. I wonder if there'll be a rerun of that count at the 30-year reunion. There better be. All right, that's me. That's us for another show. Until we next meet somewhere in the Rugby League multiverse, Rugby League, I'll be, and see ya.